Hello, and welcome to Crafty Hands Club Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, Carice Jefferson. This podcast is for crafters of all ages and walks of life who love connecting with other crafters, making crafts a lifestyle, or ready to turn their crafts into a profitable side business. Tune in weekly for honest conversations and interviews about industry news, trends, lifestyle, and business. Hey, Craft Cuties. Welcome to another episode of Crafty Hands Club Magazine Podcast. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Use handle Crafty Hands Club Mag. Also, when sharing screenshots of today's episode, use hashtag CHC Podcast. Today's guest is local, Chicago, Windy City, and she's known for a knit, knitting supply store on Chicago's north side, and Knit One Chicago has um, been, you know, known on social media. They do a lot of things in the community, do a lot of fun projects, and they even had uh, participated in a women's protest uh, march a couple years ago with the pink yarn. (laughs) So today's guest is, she's owner of Knit One Chicago. And whereas most business owners start from the ground up, she actually acquired the business and turned it into something fabulous. She's not other than Miss Lynn Cole. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. So, Lynn, before we get all the way uh, into things, how would you describe yourself in terms of like crafty wise, creative wise as a kid? Oh, I was always crafty. That was like my favorite thing to do. When I was maybe in sixth or seventh grade, I really, really wanted a sewing machine. And my mother was like, nope, it's going to be one more toy, one more thing that you don't play with. So I sewed all my clothes by hand for a year with needle and thread. And she still wouldn't get me a sewing machine. So the first thing I bought for myself when I had enough money was a sewing machine. So I have always loved to craft. When we were little, we made clothes for our dolls and made furniture. All my cousins and me, we hooked rugs. Uh, We made quilts. We knitted and crocheted in the summers, needlepoint. So yeah, I've always been crafty. Yeah, that sounds fun. And, you know, your mother sounds just like most mothers, you know, right? no, I'm not buying that. You're going to, you know, not be into it after a month or two. Um, so I get it. Now, to sew by hand, though, for a year, you had to get some pretty, you know, good experience. And what would you say was were some good things that came from sewing by hand versus sewing on the, using the sewing machine? Well, back then, sewing machines were, you know, they went backwards and forwards and maybe did a zigzag stitch and a buttonhole. But so I learned construction. I learned how to construct things, how how to cut a pattern. Um, My aunt had a sewing machine, so I would try and sneak over there and use that sometimes. But I did use patterns, but I learned how to hold needle and thread and understand like where stress is on a garment, like in the shoulders, the importance of doing a good shoulder seam, how to ease in a sleeve, which are the same things you do in a sweater when you knit it. So those are some of the things that I learned also to have patience. Yeah, because crafting requires a great deal of patience. You're not going. Sometimes you're just not going to get it correct on the first time. No, <laughs> no, it's a learning experience for sure. So, did you continue on 
like your teenage years, your college years, or did you kind of pick it up later on in life or? I, I didn't knit in, I knit all through high school. And then when I got to college, I was more interested in drawing and painting. And I started making jewelry. Uh, I took a, a silversmithing class in college. And I kind of let the my fiber crafts go also. So this was in the 70s. And I went to U of I in Champaign. And the um, any kind of textile related art was in the school of home ec, which just like, did not feel right to me. Like I was not going to be a home ec major. So <laughs> I was an art major instead. And I but I learned metal crafting and um, a lot of photography and design skills and painting and drawing. So that was a great experience. And then after college, I kind of stopped crafting for a while. I'm not sure why. And I started crafting again when I was in my 20s because I lived near another um, store that's no longer in existence called the Weaving Workshop. And I would go there and take classes. Okay. Now, because you have a physical storefront where most supply shops are online and you are not a big box store, you are, you know, that boutique store. Did you feel, um, did you ever feel like having a physical storefront was an issue and you could just do everything digitally or did you decide, you know what, I know most things are done online, but I'm okay with having the physical space. So when we, so you, you were correct in saying that I acquired the store and people really still wanted that physical space where they could come and feel yarn and get hands-on help. And I think it's, you know, back then it was before Zoom. So we weren't teaching online. Um, YouTube was a new thing. So I don't think, I, I always felt like a physical store was really important. And having an online store was like an added complication. Now I feel like it's more seamless, like the two things really go together. Mm -hmm. Especially yep. since COVID. Yeah, I think COVID just changed the landscape. It forced most businesses to just, you know, use the digital route for the time being, try it out and you might like it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Um, so speaking of COVID, because again, you know, you do have the old school crafters and even crafters who are just starting to get into crafts, they like to go into the space to touch, feel, talk to someone, connect with other people that are either starting out as them or, you know, even a few skills more advanced. How did that um, affect, how did you think, uh, did that affect your business during COVID where you had to just do everything online? Like a lot of um, physical, physical space business owners, when they started doing things online during COVID, they felt like they had to, you know, put extra emphasis or do a little bit more to engage people. Did you have that same feeling? That is such a great question. It's really, I, I do, I feel like we had to shift on a dime and start doing things like on Instagram and on, on Zoom. And so like in the first week of the lockdown, we shifted to doing Instagram lives every day. I didn't do them, but um, my, my business partner, Allison, and one of the people, Laura, who works in the store, they were there every day together. They're best friends. And so they were in a bubble 
and they were working in the store and they started doing Instagram lives. And that was so smart. And then one of the other women who works in the store, she's our yarn dyer. Her name is Grace Cocking and she does all of the dyeing of our in-house yarn. She figured out a great way to teach online. And I, I talked to her and she showed me how to set it up. And then we started teaching on Zoom. And so that started happening pretty early on. Um, but we also knew that because we were teaching on Zoom, we couldn't give the same kind of hands-on help that we could mm-hmm. when, but it also forced us, I would say, I think everyone who's teaching online at Knit One now would say that it forced us into being better teachers because mm-hmm. you have to be really precise in what you say and you have to be super patient. Mm-hmm. And, be, so, and you have to even give the directions a little bit differently because online instruction is definitely different from physical instruction because physical, it can, you know, be hands-on or watch me. Online, they watching you, but you have to slow it down a little bit, but not too slow, right? Yes, that is exactly right. <laughs> but then on the on the other plus side is that we started doing Zoom make-along nights and we didn't exclude, okay. you know, it was open to crocheters, knitters, cross-stitchers, anybody who wanted to bring a project. And we would just sit around for, you know, an hour and a half and talk and catch up. And then we started to get more focused in how we did our knit nights. And so mm-hmm. now they're, we, they're only an hour and a half because two hours was too long. And we bounce around the room and everybody engages with everybody. And we have people all over the U.S. and Canada who come to knit night. We have a lady in Alaska who comes to our make-along nights. Oh, wow. That's nice. Um, it's I wonderful. About, yeah, I thought, I thought about doing something like that with uh, Crafty Hands Club where, you know, once a month at Zoom, you know, meet up and probably in the fall because people be indoors like right now people curious they won't they glad to be back outdoors because we've been enclosed almost a year and a half so yeah summertime is just not a good time to do that right now but I think the fall and winter time will be like a nice once a month um craft meetup where you know you just bring whatever you work on and we have open honest discussions about things within the craft space Yes, I think that there's a real, uh, there, there's a place for that for sure. Oh, yeah. So, Lynn, you acquired a business. Now, how does that work? Because not everybody wants to start from the ground up. I, it it just happened to work out well for me because when, so my friend Karen Clements owned the store before me. And you'll appreciate this because I was driving down Lincoln Avenue one day, I think it was 2004. And I saw a sign that said knit one. I was like, knit one, there's a yarn store. And I was like, pulled over and I went in (laughs) and she had just opened. And I, within, I don't know, a few weeks, I started helping her out in the store and teaching classes. And, you know, she just, it needed two people, you know, being open six days a week is really hard. So I helped her out in the store. And then um, after about five years, she had had two kids, like 18 months apart, and she decided she was ready to sell. So I bought the store, I bought her great name, her, her goodwill, her reputation, all of her inventory, the computer, I took over the lease. And she was, I mean, she made it really easy for me. And I already was familiar with the business. Um, But it worked out really, really well. And then, you know, I could take it, Karen and I really saw eye to eye about like the kinds of yarns that we liked and the way 
the aesthetic of the store and what it, how it looked. And we liked the same kinds of needles. And so those things were seamless. But then, you know, there were things like I wanted to bring in more yarn, maybe like more. It was when the whole indie dyer thing was starting to take off. Mm-hmm. And so I brought in more indie dyers. And yes, yeah. Because it was in more demand. Mm-hmm. Now, when you, uh, now for a listener that is looking to acquire a business, uh, I know there has to, you know, you have to go through the legal protocol. Does the process take a long time? Like, you know, is it a couple months? Is it a couple years? Um, is it um, a high fee involved in addition to what you're paying to the seller? No, it's pretty easy. And especially if, I mean, it depends on the kind of person you are. Like I knew Karen really well and um, we trusted each other. So I knew, I, I knew what the books looked like. I knew what our, our income was and I knew what the costs of things were. But if you're the kind of person that likes to really research things, it could take you longer because you might want to have your own lawyer and your own accountant and write a, a business plan. I didn't do any of that. I, <laughs> I've never been that kind of like write a business plan kind of person. Okay. I know in my mind what, what I want and I think about it and sketch it out and make notes, but I'm not, I never wrote a business plan. Now, in terms of employees, um, you know, staffing, I don't know if there was staff when Karen uh, had the store. Did they, because uh, sometimes staff, it takes a while for them to get used to a new owner. Even if the person's been around, it still takes some time for change to set in. I think that's really true. We didn't have, I think we had one person who worked part-time and she stayed with us. She stayed with me for a little while and, but she was only working part-time. And then I hired someone who was working like 30 hours a week and helping me, but she was someone that I knew. So she didn't have, she wasn't somebody that I carried over, but I could really, you know, if someone comes in, I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty low key, but I'm not like, I I don't have definite, I do have definite ideas about things. I shouldn't say that, but I would, um, I think if you're, if you go from one very opinionated and very strong-willed business owner to another one, it could definitely be a challenge. Oh yeah. And I think it could definitely be a challenge for the owner too. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as creative people, we have our own ways that we like to do things. And it's hard to, to change that, right? Very hard. And sometimes it's hard to articulate it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we're not managers. We're not, for the most part, people who, you know, own yarn stores and go into creative businesses don't have like HR backgrounds and don't know how to manage people. That's a skill. And Mm-hmm. I not something that I had ever done. Yeah, managing people is a whole different ball game. <laughs> yes, it is. So your shop is located on one of Chicago's north side popular streets, busy street, slanted street, <laughs> Lincoln Avenue. Yep. Like that has to be like a good feeling but then on the other hand a scary feeling because you know when you tell people the address oh man parking (laughs) that's the first thing that people like if they're not familiar with the city that's the first thing they ask us is where where do I park and Mm -hmm. you know if you don't live in the city you don't know how to use the the parking app Mm -hmm. and and the, the box so I mean there are not so much since COVID, but before COVID, we would go out and help people. I used to keep quarters so that I could just put money in people's, <laughs> in those things so they didn't get a ticket. And, um, but that once was people, nice. 
Yeah, well, yeah. at least you can do. Mm-hmm. They buying from you. Yeah, right? but you know, yeah. most business owners don't think like that. <laughs> yeah, well, we're a small business and, you know, our customers mm-hmm. end up being like our friends. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the craft and, community is different. Right? It really is. Yeah, it, it pretty much kind of becomes your family in a way. Mm-hmm. It's your because- friend group, you know, it's. Your yeah. social life revolves around crafting and the store. It does. Now, speaking of, you know, here in the Windy City, how would you describe the craft culture? Because one of the things that I've seen um, since I'm out south is, you know, unless it's the big box stores or it's a church uh, group or maybe a small meetup, it's really not, you're not going to run into a craft studio <laughs> out this way. And I would love to see like metalsmith studios. Like when I go do metalsmith, I just have to go far, you know, to do the metalsmith jewelry making. But um, how would you describe like the craft culture in Chicago? Because to me, it feels like it's hit or miss. And it may be just me because I'm dealing with it from my own perspective, but from your perspective, what would you say? Hmm. That's another great question. Um, Chicago is so big and it's so neighborhood specific. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like we don't, especially during COVID, we stopped traveling places. Like I didn't even get in my car to go to the grocery store. I would walk two blocks to like our small little market. Um, So I feel like there are neighborhoods that have really been left out of the crafting community. And the South side is notoriously, uh, has notoriously few crafting stores, but Mm -hmm. you're getting a new one. So I'm excited for that to open. And, and I also think it's been really hard because a lot of crafters started, you know, yarn is expensive and they started shopping online. They started shopping at big box stores mm-hmm. and it, it the, sm- our, the smaller stores struggled. Yeah. So it's, I, but I think it's coming back. I think people, the culture now people know that they have to support their small businesses. And I think people in neighborhoods are really committed to, especially in Chicago, more so than just about any city I know, like really believes in its, its communities and neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And I think people are, are wanting Chicago, they, they're really pushing Chicago to be better. So I think we're going to see, and we're in supportive community. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. I um, think so too, um, because I'm seeing things happening that I haven't saw before, you know, like um, they're um, expanding some programs in different neighborhoods in terms of crafts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because too, you know, the, the pandemic kind of brought that to the surface because you had so many parents that did things at home with their kids that they wasn't able to do prior to because they may have had a, you know, tight schedule, you know, and, and just couldn't, you know, do that. But, you know, they got a chance to bond with their kids and see that their kids really like to do these uh, craft things. And then um, my question to you, Lynn, because you talked about being on the smaller scale compared to a big box store. So what are some things that Knit One Chicago do to uh, not so much as uh, keep up with the big box stores, um, you know, because you have your audience, but to stay in the game? We, the, the, I would say the thing that we try to do above and beyond everything else that we do is provide great customer service for people. So, you know, like putting quarters in people's meters, or we will 
you know, if you need something, we'll ship it to you. We have flat rate shipping. Even if you live in Chicago, we'll ship it to you. Or if you need, um, during COVID, we had curbside pickup. Um, We have like some secret places that we'll put your package if you can't get there during our open hours. Um, So customer service is like number one. And we try and meet people where they are. So, you know, we try and have uh, classes that people are interested in. I do virtual help sessions for $10. And honestly, my business partner probably would not be happy with me saying this, but if you need help and it goes over half an hour, I'm happy to help you. If you need to do it another day, email me, you know, whatever you need. I really want you to, I, I want you to not feel frustrated with what you're doing. Um, and one other thing, I just shameless plug, but the Chicago yarn crawl is coming up in two weeks. Oh, so this is like, I think it's our 12th year and it's, 19 stores this year in the Chicagoland area, all the way from like far north suburbs, I forget the furthest north, down to the city. There's um, a newish, there's a store in Berwyn. There's another new store that opened last year. So it's, and you go around to every store. We all have a free pattern, either knitting and crochet, one or the other you get um, a free pin, you get, we have uh, raffles, all kinds of stuff going on. So I'll send you the link for that. You can post it with this. Oh, please do. Because I was going to ask you to elaborate on that, but you already did. Um, Yeah, that would be nice. And I will definitely come. And there's no cost. Okay. Okay. It's just a way for people to get to know the different yarn shops. Gotcha. (laughs) That's a good creative way. And, you know, it's a time where people are out and about anyway. So, you know, it's good to have. Um, My other question is, so with with Knit One Chicago, with the classes, are they for different skill levels or mostly beginners or advanced? How how are the classes? I, so... our crochet teacher, who's is Grace, she's the yarn dyer, and she's a wonderful teacher. She does beginning crochet, um, and then she does more advanced classes. And I do beginning knitting, but I don't have, I haven't uh, posted one for a while because the summer has been so busy. But I'll start posting beginning knitting again in the fall, and then everything else is sort of project oriented, like. Um, if you've already made a hat, you might want to try your hand at socks. So that would be the next logical step. So that would be like an advanced beginner class, I would call it. Um, and all the way up to super complicated things. But the teachers have, they figured out how to pace the classes and how to um, give you enough information so that you can work on your own, you know, during the week and then get instruction on, on, during class time. So they're, I would, they're mostly uh, like project oriented, like sweaters, hats, crochet, cowls, socks, those kinds of things. Okay, that's good to know. And, you know, for those who are listening and they, you know, might have uh, questions, um, that was why I asked. And on the commute, from a community perspective, because Knit One Chicago, I've seen those um, Instagram lives, videos, and they are so fun and so funny and just real down to earth. And the, the the two ladies just have good chemistry. Don't they? <laughs> really good chemistry. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this should be like a, you know, a TV show. They're um, hilarious. Yeah. And, you know, they just, you know, be consistent during the afternoon time. It just, you know, makes me look forward to Knit One Chicago's um, Instagram live. And they talked about a contest that, they are starting. I don't know if it starts today 
So could you talk about the contest that's going on with Knit One Chicago? That I have to get back to you on. Okay. Yep. I would definitely share that okay. information yes. in the description Thank of you. Uh, this podcast. Okay. And uh, what, are there some more uh, community um, events or projects that's coming up with Knit One Chicago? We have a few things. I'm trying to think. Um, the Broadway Youth Center is collecting. Uh, we try and do things in the community. So the Broadway Youth Center is collecting cowls for um, for uh, for youth who uh, use the services of the Broadway Youth Center. So they were, they had a goal of collecting a hundred cowls. And I think we'll probably exceed that with, um, with our help. Um, so that's one thing that we're doing. And we have done a variety of things over the, the months, especially during COVID. Um, I know in, you mentioned the, the pink hats. That was the first thing that we did mm-hmm. for the women's march back when the last president was elected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even say his name. Um, yeah. So, so that, you know, was, became a big community project. Now, how did you all get involved in that? Because I was like, oh, a shop in Chicago that involved in something that made national headlines. Like, right? not saying that it wasn't possible because anything is possible, especially in today's age. But to hear, you know, something good like that, that was very inspiring. God, I don't even remember how we got involved. I, it was just like, I think, it. first of all, it was completely insane. Like that whole time was insane anyway, but people started calling us and asking for pink yarn. And then they were calling and asking us if we could make them hats. And we were like, no, but we could teach you. And so then we started having classes on how to make hats. We had one day at the store where I think we had 65 people in our store. There were people sitting on the floor. They were sitting on ladders. There was and we had kids, we had older people. It was crazy. You could not get a skein of pink yarn in the United States to save your life. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the yarn business definitely went up that year. Yeah, it was unbelievable. That January was, I think, our biggest sales ever. Like, how did uh, that make you, you know make the business or the brand feel to be a part of something where people are using crafts to express themselves. Like we know that crafts have always been the means to get a message out there without getting on the loudspeaker. But this time it was, you know, getting the message out there with what you wear and with what you say. I love that question. It was like, it was like being part of a movement, you know, it was so powerful. Yeah. I think I, I, I just remember the morning after the election. First of all, I was hung over cause I was just like a wreck, but, and I just felt so powerless. Like, you know, we, we did everything that we knew to do, you know, to, as a democracy and we lost the election and it was disheartening. And when, and, and that it was a women's movement was like even more powerful, I think. And to see the the day of the March, to see Washington DC and all the pink hats and thinking all the people that knit and made there was a group uh, there were these two women I had never seen them again they lived on the south side and they came to the store and they said if you want to 
give us money. We will go to Joanne's and buy pink fleece and we will make hats. And they, we'd give them, you know, cash and they'd come back with hats and like 50 hats at a time. And people would come in and we, you know, it was all a donation and people, people would hand us like $20 bills for a hat that, you know, one of these ladies had made. It was incredible. It was incredible. That is good. Um, what advice do you have? Because you have a lot of people that want to get into crochet and knitting and it can be overwhelming with the loops and <laughs> all of yes. that. What, what advice do you have for uh, people who want to get into uh, crocheting or knitting? Mm. I would say, first of all, be patient with yourself and uh, don't take on a project uh, right away. Like just, I would say use a natural fiber yarn, the best quality that you can. We sell uh, for our beginning classes, we don't even sell it, but it's, uh, we use just a, a light colored wool and wooden needles and be patient with yourself because anything that you learn takes a while, especially when you're not a kid and mm -hmm. just give yourself a chance to practice and play and rip it out. Nothing's precious. Don't feel like it's got to be perfect no one's going to see it and just practice and and play with different ways of holding your yarn and holding your needles and the way I hold my needles isn't the way you hold your needles and the way my mom held her needles is different than the way I hold my needles and everybody if you get the result you want in the end it's great so that would be yeah. my number one advice to be patient yeah, that's good advice. And uh, also take on the simplest project possible. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, and learn the fundamentals of that. Then move on to th get com comfortable with the fundamentals. And once you are comfortable, move on to something else. I agree with that 100%. Because it's not a race, you know. No. Yeah, crafting is is a marathon, you know, it's always something new to learn. You're not going to ever just master it, mm -mm. you know, early on. No. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like now, you're still for, learning? Um, all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Thanks. I am because my, my stuff was mainly in jewelry making and I will do other crafts. And so this year I'm challenging myself to learn to do crafts outside of jewelry making, which I have been. And I'm a new mom. So oh. I have a seven month old. So I have a, oh my gosh. a weekly goal. <laughs> yeah, I have a weekly goal to, um, to do one craft project a week. And so wow. far it's been working. Yeah. Wow. Sometimes it's just real simple. Sometimes it's, you know, medium. And I don't stress out about it in terms of like trying to get it all done in one day. Uh, no. I, my, I look at it as I have, I have seven days to get it done. So. Right. Yes. That's, I love that you're doing that. Yeah. I might borrow that. I'll give you credit. Yeah, go I ahead. Um, okay. <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah that's not a problem and um I had another um uh, another question um for you too so when it comes to um when it comes to business what were some things that you learned because you you bought it from someone that you were friends with you all you know were in sync you know thought similar, like some of the same things, but then once Lynn Cole became 
owner of Knit One Chicago and your name goes on everything, you sign off on everything, the game changes. So yeah. what were some tough business lessons that you learned within like your first five years of business? Oh, I think <laughs> one of the things that I learned, first of all, it was, it was really scary in the beginning because I needed more money than I thought that I did. And I had to tap into our, my personal savings. And so that was scary, really scary. And the other thing that I learned is you can't, don't underestimate how valuable, number one, your employees are, but number two, your bookkeeper, your accountant, and your lawyer, they were all like, I, my bookkeeper, especially, she is just amazing. And I don't know her. She, I mean, we've met, I think, once years and years ago. But now she lives in Wisconsin. So we do everything remotely. But oh, my God, she's just like, she's like my backbone. I don't know what I would do without her. So those are the two things that I learned. It, it's, it's more money than you think. And the importance of the people that you have around you, for sure. Yeah, that is some good advice. And especially when you have a physical space, because your costs are more, you know, you are paying um, for the space, you're paying for utilities, insurance matters. And speaking of insurance matters, because a mm -hmm. lot of uh, craft business owners feel like they don't need business insurance and you do <laughs> you definitely yes. need business insurance whether you work at home whether it's at home or in a physical space can you talk about the importance of business insurance oh it's critical I mean if you know if something happens in your space like you know god forbid a, a, you get looted or your you someone breaks you know your window gets broken somebody you know drives through or falls through or anything or somebody gets hurt in your store I mean those are all things that are that are possible we had a leak in our ceiling and thank god I have a great landlord and he came and fixed it right away but you know if our product had been damaged, that's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And sometimes it's things that can't be replaced. So it's critical. I wouldn't, right. I mean, you wouldn't drive your car without insurance and it, you have to have it. Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes in business, you do realize you need more money than you planned on. So it was good that you honestly, said that was something you learned you know right away and I know that had to be scary to go into your savings to do so but the good thing about it is at least you had a savings account exactly because what if you right. didn't uh, exactly and I worry you know yeah. I worry about people who are don't have a nest egg or you know they don't have a partner and they don't have health insurance and you know it's, and you're spread so thin when you own your own business. You know, if you're like, if you're a mom and kids are in school and you're trying to work and take care of your family, it's just, it's brutal. It's brutal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one last question for you, Lynn. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of, because in the craft space, there's been a lot of things that have changed like good and bad <laughs> uh, a yep. lot of a um, lot of uh, craft businesses went under um, there have been you know acquisitions and so forth but um, how do you feel about the lack of diversity and inclusion in the craft space 
Oh, that is, uh, you ask amazing questions. You know, I would have to say that. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're really challenging and really interesting. I think that I'm going to plug us. I uh, not not knit one, but uh, the whole craft industry as a whole, because I think two years ago when when this rose this be, um, this came into all of you know our awareness about this lack of diversity and lack of inclusion, the craft community changed. I think. And they've made a huge effort to become more inclusive and to help amplify and support uh, BIPOC designers, Black, Indigenous, people of color to design more and to show their creativity. Um, So I, I think we have a long way to go, but I think it's, it's gotten a lot better. Um, it's, but we're not there yet. And we're not there yet in, in so many aspects of our culture, but I, I really think I, I, I feel really pretty hopeful when I see what is happening. When I look at Ravelry and I see, I see more people of color in, in photographs, in design spaces, you know, in people's projects. So I'm hopeful. I really am. Yeah, that's, um, I think it, it, you have, you know, some people in some organizations that are really trying to um, make waves with diversity and inclusion, but it still has a lot of room for growth. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the ways that uh, diversity and inclusion could really be worked on in the craft space is don't just go after the people who may have the millions of followers or people who've been on TV or, you know, to have them as the representation just to check the box but actually you know get to know craft because there's a lot of amazing crafters out here I see it in the groups and you know just looking at YouTube videos or just reading articles and, and so forth I I see a lot of amazing things out here that crafters are doing and if you know you get a chance to you know speak their language and meet them where they are like you talked about earlier knit one meet people where they are so if people have a few more questions past the 30 minutes you're not sitting there saying well the 30 minutes is up (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know you say okay let me get you to where you need to go and you know you'll, you'll be there but um I think you know they have to meet people people where they are, and then don't just have the same people trying to solve a problem that all, that has already been a problem, you know, because otherwise it's still going to be them against them. Right. I also, yeah. I, 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 so, I am so encouraged and like amazed by what, like, what young people are doing and I mean like young like like grade school and high school age people and out marching and you know just walking around my neighborhood like I every house has a a sign in the window that's drawn by a kid that says you know black lives matter or thank you healthcare workers or you know something like people young people are turning Mm -hmm. into activists and that's how the world's going to change. So Mm -hmm. I think we maybe just need to move aside and not you because you're young, but maybe I need to move aside and just make room for it. Support people who are making, making changes and, and, you know, as everybody says, doing the work. So 
that's be participative too. Absolutely. But just to be on the supportive yeah, end of that. Yeah, so I'm that hopeful. Would be great. And that, that, yeah. So, uh, Lamb, where can listeners find Knit One Chicago um, online? What are, what are your social media pages, the website? Is there a podcast or videos that they can go to to get to know more about Knit One Chicago? So our, our Instagram, which is probably our most active social media, is... K-N-I-T, the word knit, and the numeral one, C-H-G-O. And we abbreviate, so that's the abbreviation for Chicago. And our physical address is 3856 North Lincoln. And we're in the North Center neighborhood. And we are close to the Irving Park Brown Line stop and the Addison Brown Line stop and the Irving Park bus and the Addison bus and the Damon bus. Mm -hmm. And you can call us and we'll give you directions. And that's um, 773-244-1646. Okay, thank you so much. And listeners that are outside of Chicago, um, that is definitely how we uh, give directions. We say landmarks or we use the color The cool thing about Chicago, you don't need a car in the city of Chicago because the public transportation is good. Bus, train, metro, Uber, Lyft, you name it, uh, Chicago, you could get somewhere uh, on public transportation in Chicago. And you can ride a Divi bike. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, I, I think it's, what is it, seven or eight bucks? And you I don't can, know because uh, I it for I'm, a couple hours. Yeah, you, and you can go. There are stations everywhere. Every bus, every um, train station has divvy bikes. They're everywhere, and we have bike lanes, and it's great. Yep. So, <laughs> oh yeah, on the north side, there's plenty of um, divvy bike lanes. So, listeners that are visiting Chicago or curious about visiting Chicago. This is just letting you know there's always a way to get to Knit One Chicago. Well, that is a wrap for today's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and share on social media. Don't forget to include the handle Crafty Hands Club Mag. Use hashtag CHC Podcast and take a screenshot of today's episode as you shared across your social media platforms. Thank you for tuning in and come back next week.